paradise paradox and I'm straight reckless. I'm a Native American wearing a strange headdress, playing tennis, jerking off to pictures of Elaine Bennis, causing accidents that'll break your fenders, romantic relationships fading embers. I ain't pretending. I got the ridiculous knowledge that'll make you jealous. One, two. All right. <laughs> this is the the continuation, the sequel of my last uh, last episode, my conversation with Mr. Link and Mr. J. And we got into a lot of stuff, so we're still talking about in- integrity and values. A man's got to have a code. Um, so we talk about creativity, um, what it's like to have a scarcity mentality when it comes to creativity, uh, the difference between the technique and the application, which is more important, the difference between technique and having heart, putting passion into your artwork, having self-awareness of your own art and and why that's important or uh, the pitfalls to watch out for when you do that. And we talk about some some hypothetical philosophical problems, the trolley problem, look at it from, from Mr. J's unique perspective. Uh, and we talk about, in some cases, why some principles must be overlooked in favor of other principles. We're also talking about having consensual sex with dolphins as a philosophical problem. So... All right, so remember, uh, you can follow us and, and upvote us on Steemit, S-T-E-E-M-I-T dot com uh, at, well, slash at paradise dash paradox. Follow us on there and press upvote on a post. That helps us out a lot. To tell you a little bit about Steemit, it's a platform where you can go on there, get paid for posting, paid for voting on, on content, uh, and it's good for artists, musicians, writers. So have a look, check it out, and and uh, you can get paid just, just for voting on our posts. So it makes it better than Facebook. Uh, also jump on to theparadiseparadox.com. We appreciate all of those uh, tips that are coming in. Donate.theparadiseparadox.com. You can give us some, some dollars, some, some monetary units, by uh, PayPal or by Bitcoin, um, send us a little uh, a little token of your appreciation, and that's going to increase our power levels to over nine thousand. Much appreciated. Let's get into it. a lot of writing and, and publish it somewhere and you know if it doesn't get a, attention or whatever then then maybe I, I might feel like like I'm a failure or especially if it's something that I put a lot of uh, a lot of work into but then I I, I say to myself uh, this is this is the the way I normally phrase it um, I'm drinking from a spring that never runs dry uh, and that that spring is is creativity, and that spring is also uh, God, for lack of a better term. 
So it's something inside of us that that uh, can always come up with new ideas and, and and new techniques, and that's available to everyone. But if you sit around and you're like grabbing onto um, what you have, like uh, like this sort of golem, like my precious, this kind of thing, you're never going to be able to realize that actually you um, you you have uh, accessibility to this this great wide range of of information and and knowledge and and creativity. It reminds me of this principle. Sorry, Link. It reminds me of this principle uh, from uh, martial arts training. Uh, yeah, I have a whole book of different codes from different schools, which is very interesting. Uh, but there's this one principle that you shouldn't be looking for a secret technique, or you, you shouldn't be looking to develop some uh, some silver magical bullet or something. Some some way of of fighting that will uh, defeat all uh, uh, all enemies uh, because that's not the way. Hmm. Uh, a, a successful strategy is a strategy that works whether or not your opponent knows about your strategy. Uh, and uh, I I really love this idea and I I think that it's it's the case. Uh, so often we concentrate on technique and we want to hoard techniques and have these secret techniques. But greatness doesn't come from technique. It comes from application. And uh, if somebody is great, they can make anything great. Uh, there's this other idea that you shouldn't uh, desire splendid weapons. Uh, yeah, and again, I think it, it lines up with uh, this other group of principles whereby if, if you can only cut with an excellent sword, then you'll die on the battlefield. Uh, but if you can kill someone with a chopstick, uh, you're much more likely to survive on the battlefield. Uh, you, you're much more likely to be able to adapt to circumstances rather than holding on to some uh, preconceived uh, technical virtuosity. Uh, and again, if you look at musicians, like it, it's the most horrible thing to hear a guitarist uh, masturbating on a guitar and just playing virtuistically, um, but not, not creating real music. Uh, it's very skillful, but it, it has no uh, effect, I think. Art like life is in, in its effect, um, like virtue is in its effect. It's not in, in the principle itself, but it's in the way that that thing comes out into reality uh, or into the, the object of creation, be it art or life or, or whatever it is. Yeah, which is kind of like the antithesis of, you know, uh, so you think you can dance and all the reality talent competitions and and why breakdancing like i used to love watching breakdancing and and um i guess battle videos as well but particularly like i loved watching breakdancing and these days and beatbox competitions and stuff like that um but yeah whenever i see them they, I, I just have no interest in them these days past maybe like a 30 second <laughs> little clip because there's no heart like it's all it's all just this competitive technical shit and um mm. yeah like it's such a shame that our culture's obsessed with that mm. <laughs> but <laughs> but but also puts it on a pedestal so that 
you know, the idea of us refining ourselves and becoming technically, you know, brilliant is, isn't, isn't like the common person's aim. <laughs> yeah. How, well, how do, how do you resolve that paradox? I mean, why is, why is that, that, that technical ability is so praised, but at the same time, for some reason, not desirable? Uh, I think it's praised because it's uh, something that you can develop without talent. Hmm. I mean, it includes parts of talent because it includes like determination and perseverance. Yeah. But uh, because it's this uh, progressive aggregate way of, of doing something, uh, yeah, it, you can always develop your technique but you can't always develop your quality or your skill. Um, and yeah, so often people will uh, people concentrate on complexity, for instance. Uh, I was offended recently uh, because uh, I'm, I met a guitarist and uh, ha having a little bit of an absence of other creative people in, in my environment uh, it was really cool to have another guitarist around and uh, uh, we only had one guitar, so we shared it between the two of us. But uh, he liked uh, complex guitar music. Mm. Uh, uh, so when when I played a song, uh, he would he didn't really enjoy m my playing. Uh, but when he played a song, I didn't really enjoy his playing because he wanted to play fast and complex. But he made lots of mistakes. Uh, but in his mind. Uh, because he was aware of the mistake that he was making, he would uh, edit it, I guess, in his consciousness so that he wouldn't hear all of these mistakes. Uh, but to me, being a performer and uh, not just a guitarist, uh, being able to play something well means being able to play something uh, beautifully, not not to play something complicated. Hmm. Um, and yeah, so it's this it's this strange thing that happens when people get. Uh, attached to uh, yeah to uh, ability on some level uh, like it, skillfulness is a beautiful thing uh, and and maybe true ability is always skillful but the way people try and develop their ability is not necessarily in line with with skill um, <laughs> the, uh, the show Red Dwarf uh, Lister is a yep. guitarist and uh, there's a episode where there's some entity that can emulate other entities, uh, but it does it by reading their mind and, and projecting into reality what they see inside the other person's mind. And the way they differentiate between the real lister and the fake lister is they get him to play guitar. And when the fake lister plays guitar, it sounds awesome, because in his head that's what it sounds like when he plays. Uh, but when the real lister plays guitar, it sounds like shit. Um, because he can't actually play guitar. Uh, so, uh, yeah, I guess a lot of people are playing to the image in their head, and the way they convince themselves of the quality of it is is narrow. And I think that's what creates this, uh, this over-grasping on, on technique, uh, because you can compare your technique to your previous technique and feel great about yourself. Whereas if you if you record yourself and listen to yourself play, or if you can develop an objective ear and hear yourself play uh, actually as you play, 
then uh, you're a musician and and not a uh, a technicalist. Mm. But I guess that's the thing about life. Like, how many people can look at themselves uh, objectively? Uh, so much of what we do in our lives uh, is to uh, to please the critic inside ourselves who, who's not a very well-developed critic. Yeah. Well, yeah, um, uh, a mistake that I, that I see in, in writers is that um, they... Um, it's, it's very close to what you're talking about. It's like they... They only um, read what they're writing from from their perspective, um, and they don't um, they, they don't manage to see it um, with the eyes of somebody else. Um, so they have no idea uh, how how things will be perceived by other people, and um, that's the, that's the real challenge for when it comes to communication. Um, you have to. You have to have this this empathy and this mental empathy of of how others are going to perceive it, and and if you don't, then you're going to say things which uh, probably make no sense or are very very confusing or lead the the th- the reader in this completely different direction. Yeah, I, I don't know. I think I disagree with that. Still, uh-huh. uh, uh, I, I was helping a friend. I, I was editing this book that he was writing. And I think he suffered from an effect which is similar to that which you're describing. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the way I tried to help him was uh, uh, I described the writing process as like uh, you imagine something and in your imagination you create this beautiful jewel. Mm-hmm. Uh, and when you write, you're describing that jewel. Uh, but when you read your own writing, you can't compare it to the jewel inside your imagination. Because when somebody else reads it, that jewel is gone. Yeah. Uh, so the, the uh, yeah, I, I'm I'm still very concerned about uh, writing with uh, a, a reader, like an actual reader in mind, uh, because I'm concerned that it, uh, I will then start writing with mediocre people in mind, and that will make my writing mediocre. Uh, whereas if I just ensure that when I describe this jewel, that description itself becomes a jewel, then someone can read it, and if they have skill of reading, they will see my jewel. But if they don't have skill of reading, then um, they probably won't talk to me. <laughs> right. or, 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 con- or continue reading what I write or care a- about anything to do with my life. Like, And uh, these days I love the idea of, of, of winnowing. And uh, the the idea that people will save me from having to uh, not uh, save them me from having to give them my time and give them my work like uh, yeah <laughs> it's easier if people turn their backs on me uh, and yeah hopefully they're, uh, they're chaff so to speak hmm. yeah. Well, this I think that that relates to this this idea that Link brought up years ago about when you meet new people, there are certain things you can ask them to to test their character a little bit and see see how open minded they are, or see um, see, see the the level of of thinking ability. And what <laughs> the example that you had was like uh, why. It, 
uh, is is having sex with a dolphin wrong if it's consensual? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, and so it's uh, yeah. You you can uh, you can kind of cut right to the chase and and say these things in the, in the first few conversations with somebody, and you'll you'll find out pretty quickly what they're about. Like personally, I I like asking people about psychedelics, and I find out um, how how open minded people are. Um, because yeah, I mean, c- certain people will say, "I would never do that," um, even before I asked them if they, if they would ever do it. Um, and I'm like, "Okay, well, that's that kind of indicates to me that maybe you're 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 not an adventurous person, um, and you're you're not an open-minded person. You're not willing to c- consider possibilities in the in the future and that sort of thing." Yeah, and I and I guess the function of that question specifically about you know um having sex with dolphins was that uh to me objectively the only way to answer that question is of course it's fine like if it's consensual like there's no there's there's nothing in that question that suggests that it wouldn't be fine um but there's a whole bunch of suggestions in our culture that that say that that's not fine so just Mm. instantly Mm. like it's just a really easy way to to see how I guess attached people are to culture and and whether or not they mm. can mm. look at things outside of their whatever their reactions to things their cultural reactions to things um, mm-hmm. and it was it was fun and like Jeremy and I had a series of these that we <laughs> would would bring out and um, <laughs> yeah like it, it, I, I found it interesting be- because. I was surprised at how many people were open-minded and were able to think about these things in in different ways. Um, and mm. I guess especially I found that from, from young people. I'm sorry, just to talk about the dolphins for, for a minute. Uh, it, the, <laughs> <laughs> Let's I talk think, about uh, those shits. I, I think now it's become for me a little bit of a more murky question uh, because of the idea of what's wrong. Uh, there's a famous uh, writer, Jeanette Winnison she has this terrible memory from her uh, from her adolescence I think when she uh, she's gay and uh, when she came out to her mother her mother said oh uh, why why do you have to be gay Uh, why be gay when you could be happy and, uh, of course, this was a highly traumatic thing for a young woman trying to describe herself to her mother. Uh, but so I guess uh, the, the question about the dolphin to me is not, is not uh, narrow enough because for a person who isn't madly in love with this dolphin, it's probably better for them that they don't have sex with the dolphin. Uh, it, it will cause lots of complications and lots of difficulties in their in their life. Mm. Uh, it, it's not such. Uh, yeah, I don't think it's such a clear cut question uh, when you say uh, objectively. There's only one answer to it. Yes, yes, but I think I think there's a couple of different questions there. Yeah, and and that's the yeah. thing. Like the the I mean the the straight up what I'm talking about the question is in terms of like ethics or morals in terms yep, of, yep. of harm, I guess is probably the, the 
easiest way to put it. Um, you, the, the question is asked: like, Is there a victim if you if you have sex with a dolphin consensually? Is this yep. wrong due to harm? Basically, is the Im- implication of it, I guess. Um, but then that's even that's even better. Like if if that initial um, reaction either can be worked around or isn't there, then the issue can be discussed reasonably and rationally like you just have there. Like there, of course, will be consequences and there are all these other things to look at, which um, which is the same with you know, you know, the vaccination stuff, the climate change stuff, any of the major contentious you know, Facebook arguments that, that people have. Like if, if you can get past the initial part, there is probably some really interesting questions that maybe nobody has the answer to and nobody has the, the, the justification to be actually passionate about. It's interesting though uh, because that kind of question, what it does is it gives you a very accelerated snapshot into another person's uh, framework of looking at decision-making and their way of life uh, and how they deal with principles and codes. Uh, I mean, one of the beautiful things about uh, modern science is that, uh, well, real science looks at where things start to break down, where there aren't clear-cut answers to questions and tries to create a clear question to a, a clear answer to a question that doesn't uh, yet have a clear answer. Um, yeah, if you look at so many of the... Uh, uh, advancements in science that they've all been from these questions which uh, m- make uh, previous answers or previous codes or previous frameworks kind of wobble. Uh, so I guess uh, maybe what we're looking for when we're when we're meeting people is looking for people who are comfortable uh, in, inside of uh, uh, these grey areas inside of these smoky, shady parts of their life. I mean, a, a lot of people who have a code or, or a, a framework or a way of life, uh, but it, it's it's dead, like uh, we were discussing at the start of the conversation. Uh, they won't deal very well with these, uh, with these problematic parts of their own decision-making process. Uh, I, I remember the first time someone asked me the trolley um, dilemma. You know the trolley dilemma. Uh, can you can uh, you just explain it for people who don't know? Okay. Uh, so it's a thought experiment. It's ugly and hideous, and it's designed to create a certain kind of thought. Uh, basically, there's a trolley running along a track, and it's heading towards a group of people, and uh, there's no way for you to communicate with them, tell them get out of the way. Uh, in some versions of it, they're actually tied to the track, so they can't avoid the trolley. Uh, but you have access to a lever, which will divert the trolley from this track and therefore save life, the lives of this, these people in this group. But the track that it diverts to, there's an, a single person on it. And so uh, um, if you pull this lever and save these people, you'll kill another, you'll kill a person. And so uh, that's the question. Uh, What would you do? Are you morally culpable uh, by an inaction that uh, results in the death of people? Uh, Are you morally culpable in an action that saves people but kills someone else who otherwise would have lived? Uh, I mean, it's quite beautifully set up. Uh, But the the reason why I hated it as a question is because life doesn't work like this. Uh, What if the person... Uh, that, that is 
uh, that you'll kill when you save this group is the king of a country, or the Dalai Lama, or, uh, you know, like, uh, well, we have this idea that people are uh, equal and you can reduce them to numbers, and that's one of the biases that sits in the assumptions uh, of this question. Uh, so I got really angry, uh, and at this point I started to think, um, maybe I'm a replicant, uh, because, you know, in Blade Runner, he gets really angry when they give him the thing about the turtle and he can't flip over the turtle, and I wanted a way to find a way to save all of these fucking people. Um, but, but the question isn't designed like that. Uh, but interestingly enough, uh, my discomfort uh, was highly amusing to the person who asked me this question, and the person who asked me this question is actually a textbook psychopath. And uh, he was he was very happy because he had a beautiful, a beautifully justified moral re uh, reasoning in his answering of this question. But he found the answering of the question very very easy. Uh, so uh, me being very violent at the time and still hoping that I could help this psychopath grow a nub of a conscience and a nub of empathy, etc., etc. Uh, I pointed out to him that in my idea of ethics, it's not so important how you answer the question or what what conclusion you come to, but how important you see the question. How important is it, this decision? Uh, it's not so much about the, the end result, but in, a, in the process itself, do you care? Uh, and uh, yeah, so it, I, I think this comes down to it. at the end of the day, do you care about your principles? Do you care about your values? Do you care about your code and your way of life? Uh, because it, it's easy to, to generate one or to have one, but if you don't care about it, then I don't think it serves any purpose. Um, you know, if you care about freedom, but then you'll subjugate your freedom for pleasure and then when the opportunity for that pleasure is gone then you revert back to your principle of freedom uh yeah, yeah i don't think that principle of freedom will serve you at all uh, other than justifying yourself and, and the image that you uh, uh sculpt and polish uh f for your own mind yeah that's that's interesting and, and hits home a bit when i think about when i go back to indulging in certain things that you know don't keep my life so smooth. The, with the thing you were mentioning before about like the company that, that you keep in terms of if you're trying to d develop certain principles and such, it's good to be around people who are heading in a similar direction or what have you. Um, I guess with our culture, there is this concern, especially around, you know, cults and um, I guess being surrounding yourself with like-minded people and then developing some kind of, yeah, closed-mindedness around that. This bubble effect. Yeah. Um, but it seems like it's actually a really important thing to do. Like, do you th do you think the, the bubble effect is such a risk or is that only really a risk for people who are kind of sheep anyway? Or, you know, like, is it, I guess it's just a balanced thing. Like, you don't... Yeah, well, that's that's the thing. I mean, if you're actively surrounding yourself with, with people who are open-minded, who ask interesting questions and are willing to consider new propositions without getting um, uh, emotional to the extent that, that it reduces, that, that it um, removes their ability to think, um, then um, 
at, at least in in theory, you're not really going to have a bubble because these these people are always willing to 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 throw things around from from outside of their experience or new you know new things. Yeah, but I mean that's a that's a cool bubble of friends and and open-minded people. But I mean more in terms yeah. of like you know practicing with a particular school, you know joining an ashram uh-huh. or a temple, uh, or putting yourself in a situation. Well, I guess even like the military might be a similar kind of thing but yeah probably um, one of the worst ones yeah. yeah putting yourself in a situation where you spend most of your time uh interacting with people who are who are who think or have a similar framework i guess because mm. chances mm. are they don't think the way that you think as uh the everyone's just as weird and unique in these places as as they are anywhere else but um mm. but yeah like because even when, when i talk to my open-minded friends like it, if there's just certain fundamental differences between the way that we think about things, there's just like a, there's either a limit to what I can talk about or more so I'm constantly re-justifying my own positions on things in relation to how they see things. And mm. like it, it, I think doubt is useful and there are certain ways of testing ideas that's useful, but I think sometimes it just kind of, slows down momentum i guess or something that i have in terms of really exploring something deeply or or developing something press like on youtube and press like on facebook and subscribe on youtube itunes and podcasts follow us on twitter at battle az and trouble bubble and show your support and donate.theparadiseparadox.com I, I don't think it matters. Uh, I don't think the bubble is so Im- important. Uh, the, the company you keep is is important, uh, but the how to put it. So, depending on uh, who you are and what you do and your various refinements, uh, you sit in a bunch of different uh, places along, for instance, the bell curve. Uh, but I think it's important that uh, so if you imagine the bell curve not um, being two-dimensional but having a third dimension whereby it can twist around on itself or um, tend towards a, a different uh, uh, axis or, or spectrum uh, then you can start placing these shapes together so that you uh, if, if your bell curve is interacting with another person who is likened to a bell curve that they cross at least in two places and hopefully at one of those places where they cross <coughs> they're at the exceptional end of the bell curve they may not be at the other place where you cross but at least at one of them if they're exceptional then that's great you you can um, you can grow and and uh, and change with this person but if you only cross once and where you happen to cross on their bell curve is in the fat part or the retarded part then I don't think you're gonna have a a engaging relationship and if there's a group of people and and as a group where that group crosses your curve is a fat mediocre or, or mediocre part, then again, that's probably not the group for you. Um, yeah, you, 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 
I think is, is important, like the soil that you grow yourself in. And so much of our reality is based on uh, our, our friends, our, our, our environment in an in, interpersonal sense. You know, when, when somebody looks at you, you, you know, so the Nietzsche quote, um, uh, I don't know it uh, in its English translation, but it's basically, uh, be careful, uh, don't, uh, be careful when you study monsters, uh, in case you become a monster, because when you stare into the abyss, the abyss stares back at you. And, uh, I think it's beautiful, and this abyss can be another human being. And when you, when somebody looks at you and you look at them looking at you, depending on how you see them, you create an image of yourself in their eyes. And knowing what you know about them and how they perceive the world, it changes your image, uh, but pre-consciously. Uh, so, I mean, that's why it's awesome to, uh, to have a, a teacher and also to see that teacher through the lens of a teacher. Uh, for instance, uh, I, I have a teacher, a local teacher at my temple, <coughs> and he's amazing, he's a renaissance man, he's a painter and sculptor and philosopher and poet and monk, and uh, uh, so I, I try and serve him the way a student is supposed to serve their teacher in the uh, Eastern framework, and uh, he's very happy. Every time I, I serve him well, he's really happy. But I, uh, if I was cynical or if I didn't understand uh, the principle of a teacher well, I would think that he's happy because I'm doing things for him. I'm making his life easier. Some, some, he, some personal gain that he's getting, and that's why he's happy. Uh, but the way I see it is, he's happy because he's looking at me as a student. And when he sees me being a good student, he's happy with my studentship. And that's what makes him happy. Uh, yeah, so th so this this lens and this way of seeing other people is really important. And if I didn't trust him as a teacher, then maybe I wouldn't trust his in intentions or his uh, his guidance. Uh, yeah, so I think it's it's so important um, the the people that we choose to have in our lives and the people we interact with. Uh, but that being said. Uh, if you read uh, Dostoevsky's uh, The Idiot, uh, if you have a beautiful perspective, uh, somebody who's mediocre will be great to you. And you can see greatness through their eyes, maybe more greatness than, than they can see through their actual eyes and their actual perspective. And, uh, yeah, so again, at the end of the day, I don't think it matters. Uh, but... Uh, it, there's a uh, uh, there's degrees of quality and degrees of advantage and disadvantage and uh, you know I, I quite like uh, disadvantage um, so that's probably why I think it, it doesn't matter because it is still a disadvantage. Uh, you did say something before that made me think about oh yeah in terms of the the, the principal stuff like how you talk about um, I mean I, I took it personally so you might not have necessarily been talking about this kind of thing but in terms of having a principal. Um, so for myself, I have various different principles about helping people and not being selfish and that kind of stuff. And I might break them all the time, but one time where in which I totally give myself freedom from my discipline and my principles, uh, well, quite a lot more than usual is when I'm, when I'm smoking. And so 
I, I will generally be disciplined and, and, you know, aim to not smoke. Um, but then every, every so often I'll give myself a time where I can just get stoned and, you know, just do whatever I want. And during that time, yeah, when I am high, particularly, I will make a whole bunch of decisions that I wouldn't let myself get away with usually. Like I just, the, whatever it is, the awkwardness, the discomfort. I'm just not, I don't, I've, I don't feel mentally capable of dealing with certain kinds of discomfort or not satisfying certain desires like eating things or being in a comfortable situation or whatever it is. So I'll, yeah, I'll act in these other ways. And so what you're saying before almost sort of made it seem like my principles aren't really that strong if I can just give myself this outwear in which I'll break them. And I mean, I, again, I'm, you know, a lot of these things, like my, some of my principles are, you know, being honest with people or, you know, and, um, being generous, you know, selfless, these kinds of things. And it's not like I'm a saint. Um, but yeah, it's an interesting idea of, of if there were really principles or if I really believed in them, um, I would, I probably wouldn't, put myself in a position where I could break them so easily. Mm, pish tish. So uh, Aristotle in his Ethics, um, which is quite a beautiful framework for ethics, uh, he, he describes a process of hierarchialization in ethics, whereby uh, s- certain principles supersede other principles. So uh, in, in, in cases like this where you are looking at principles and their application, I think it's important to uh, understand your own principles in terms of their hierarchy of values. Uh, yeah, so when you, when you uh, divest yourself of, of certain principles, you're, you're serving uh, what in your case is a higher principle. Uh, but maybe you don't have that higher principle, principle codified. Uh, maybe you have these, uh, these more basic principles codified because they're easier to codify. Uh, be honest with people. You know, don't don't be selfish, etc., etc. Uh, but yeah, if you look at your your way of life, it will show you what your higher principles are. And uh, yeah, I mean, I don't think there's a problem at all in in breaking principles um, for higher principles. Uh, at, at the temple where I'm staying, they they run this detox program. Uh, apparently, it's, it's the hardest detox program in the world. Uh, and uh, it was set up by uh, uh, two brothers who are monks, and, and uh, their uh, their aunt uh, who ordained herself as an as a nun. She's a radical. But anyway, I digress. Uh, people uh, complained about them because. Uh, Buddhist monks aren't supposed to work and they complained because they were treating women and uh, uh, one, so one of these monks his response was well what are you going to do if no one else is doing it and you have to do it then you have to be willing to do what's necessary and you know like we're not supposed to touch women but if there's a woman trapped in a burning house well what are you going to do yeah, so uh, I, I think it's important if you're a principled person to be willing to break your own principles uh, for a higher aim. Uh, otherwise, uh, you're just a bit of an asshole uh, with, with a nice way of justifying it. 
Yeah, that's really interesting. But what is the what is the principle at play there when when uh, Link gets gets high and then is uh, isn't so generous or <laughs> is a little selfish for a day? The the principle is uh, like enjoying himself and giving him some time to giving himself some time to relax and and not worry so much about having everything perfect is. Is that the principle, or is it something else? I don't know. Uh, I, I, I don't think you can tell from the outside. I think that it, it's up to each individual to analyze their yeah. own life and, and uh, work it out for themselves. I mean, because from the outside, yeah, from the yeah, outside, you, their can, own needs. you can yeah. never tell. Someone can be doing a very generous action for, with a very selfish intention. Or someone can be doing something that seems very selfish, but it's actually a very generous intention. Um, yeah, you can't really tell. You can only tell from the inside. Yeah, well, I'll, I'll think about that. Because <laughs> when, <laughs> when I think about the higher intentions, I can think of some well, uh, higher principles. I can think of more just higher understandings or like of who I am or what you know what's happening here and that kind of stuff that kind of... Uh, it, I guess it, things that also accept myself and who I am and where I'm at a little bit more. Yeah, and also I guess uh, other things about in terms of taking responsibility. Like, so you know, if I do have these selfish moments or these princi- these things that are principles I'm breaking, whatever, like putting it actually into perspective and, uh, yeah, realize that me me beating myself up over these things isn't necessarily helpful or in relation to how how bad I'm being, in inverted commas, how much I'm straying from my principles. So, anyway, there's lots of, there's lots of things to think about there. Yeah, well, I mean, I have this principle whereby uh, I uh, avoid and disbelieve in, uh, in guilt. Uh, yeah, I don't think it serves any kind of purpose to uh, think negatively about uh, the past except in terms of creating some different system or schema uh, for the future. Um, yeah, um, failure is an opportunity to grow. And, and if you couldn't see any failures uh, inside yourself or in your past, then uh, I would be very, very concerned for your uh, mental health. Well, uh, another, another thing uh, which then, that uh, br- brings me to is... Uh, um, well, a, a few months ago, there was a, a, a prominent libertarian, uh, Walter Block. Uh, he came out and, and endorsed Trump and he said, let's get uh, libertarians for, for Trump. Uh, and he, he said, well, we have to be pragmatic in, in this situation. Um, even though Trump isn't a, isn't a libertarian candidate and probably won't won't do a lot for for liberty um he's just the the best of the of of the bad options um and so block thought it was pragmatic to support him um but instantly everybody or well a lot of libertarians came out and and started pointing the finger and said block you're not a real libertarian a real libertarian would would never support trump um, like he he wants to build this wall and limit trade and all these sorts of things, um, and I found it so so funny how people people could be um, so fickle. Like here here is a man um, who's dedicated um, most of his life to the, to this cause, which which these people are supporting, um, but in just on a dime 
they will turn on him and and say you're not you're not really what you've been for longer than I've been alive and I thought that was so unfair um, that you could judge someone on this on, on this one conclusion that he'd come to uh, I, I wrote this post about it and my friend my friend uh, Aaron said this this comment which kind of sums it up nicely and she said um, a person is more than his worst day a person is so much more than his worst day um, so it's it's so easy to look at at one single thing and uh, in even in your own life, uh, which is I've, I think that's where it starts. Um, look at one thing that you've done and say, "Ah, that was so terrible. I'm a terrible person," and and you you latch onto this uh, like as as an identity. Um, but the thing is, you you are you are this complete person, and and um, it's it's so limiting when you see. Um, people as just one single action, one one bad day in their life, and and paint them with that entire brush. Um, pe- people are very complex, and and if we want to have have an understanding, and if we want to have compassion, then uh, we have to attempt to look at people in their entirety. Yeah, we we have this idea of uh, what's the expression? True colors. It's like a, a person acts a certain way and talks a certain way and thinks a certain way, uh, but then th- that's not their true colors. They'll show their true colors in, in a certain circumstance, and then that's their actual personality or their actual self, for want of a better word. Uh, but it's so reductionist. Sorry, it's so reductionist and simplistic. Uh, but uh, again, I think it's uh, a symptom of our culture, which is very reductionist. Reductionist and simplistic. Uh, yeah, uh, a- anytime you're reducing something, uh, it is, uh, I think, a, a dangerous uh, ac- activity. Uh, I mean, if you look at coding and information, uh, when, when you want to make a, a principle or a general uh, statement, uh, that general statement and or that principle should fit all of the information, like all of it. Uh, if it doesn't, then it's not a very good description. Uh, you know, uh, that's why uh, relativity rocked uh, as a description of, in physics because it described uh, uh, many more circumstances and actualities and uh, points of information than the mechanical model did. There were all of these uh, things that weren't described that were reduced from the model uh, in, in the earlier model. And uh, yeah, so again, so it, the dangerous thing about a framework is that, like a frame, there's an edge to it, and you want to be careful what's outside that edge or where you position it to, uh, yeah, to create an image inside of the framework. Like uh, a, on cigarette packets, uh, you know, with with all of this uh, nocebo anti-smoking stuff. Uh, for a long time, when you read uh, the side of a pack of cigarettes, it told you all of these statistics about how many people died of this and that in these particular years. Uh, but it's dodgy information because those the year wasn't like the year before. The year was just some year. So it was obvious that the people who chose this year chose it because those were the most damning numbers. Uh, so that's a framework, and the edge of the frame has been lined up very carefully 
so as to create a, create a certain image inside of that frame. Uh, but that image is not something that's trying to describe reality. It's a coercive image. Uh, and uh, yeah, I guess that, again, is one of my fears about codes and frameworks and ways of life. It's like you can set this thing up to create a pretty fantasy uh, or an ugly fantasy, if that's your choice. Uh, but yeah, I'm much more interested in trying to get towards uh, actuality or uh, reality, for want of a better word, or uh, actual experience. Yeah, well, that's that's an interesting idea, the, the dangers of a code. And, and like I said, I guess it is enforce like following like you say before like a monk not saving a, a woman in a burning house or something like that that these these codes are practical like in, in terms of the practical philosophy as well like they're all for practical reasons so there is there is going to be a limit to perhaps all of these principles where in which yeah like i, I guess and that's the danger like when you're talking about the trolley scenario like um creating abstract hypotheticals um, like, I guess there is a, po- there is a use in thought experiments and such, but I guess I'm, I'm a bit wary of, of hypotheticals that, that I can't then ground back into a context and reality. Um, because yeah, it's not, and I guess the other part is that just because I might find an exception to that principle, that doesn't mean that it's not use useful in all the uh, these other situations kind of like i guess just because relativity exists doesn't mean that mechanical physics isn't still useful kind of thing like or you know stuff along those lines so yeah well um well i remember i was reading this this article and it was talking about uh this more more of a shift uh to to abstract thinking over the past couple of centuries and uh the the thing was um, to, the the article claimed that say a few hundred years ago, um, say you have uh, like this this um, intellectual who is a who is a racist, but you you ask him, well, so you think uh, blacks should be treated in a certain way? But I mean, think about it. Like if if you woke up tomorrow uh, and you were black, um, then. Does does that mean that you should be treated in that way? And he would say, "Well, that's just a that's a ridiculous question. I mean, that's never going to happen. That's so outside of reality that it doesn't. It's it's completely meaningless. I mean, reality is the way it is, and and this this is what we're going to do. Um, so so it, it's yeah, it it's very strange um, because you can you can set up these um, hypothetical situations which which don't really have much to do with reality. Um, and I guess in in some circumstances they can, they can be helpful, but um, it's it's hard to say uh, when, uh, well, you have to look at it to see um, the the principle that's actually being demonstrated yeah. there. And I guess it's the difference between developing the theory, and then testing the theory mm. and experimenting with it. So the the more abstract stuff might be much more useful in that developmental phase of coming up with the idea. But then then you mm. you can separate the wheat from the chaff just by self experimentation and yeah checking it out in the environment. Mm. Yeah. So you should probably find some dolphin porn. Uh huh. <laughs> That's right. 
dolphin sex dot org. I'm totally not following through with my um, practical philosophies. Oh no! <laughs> I, like I'm really not that attracted to dolphins. I mean, I like their 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 yeah, demeanor so totally and their disposition. <laughs> They're quite smooth in and and kind of shiny. I guess that's a bit somewhat sexual. That kind of those dimensions. <laughs> Yeah, well, that's the other. That's what I was thinking just then when I thought about touching one. I, I bet you they're, they're coarse, you know. Which, and again, with the the time when I kissed a man, the second time, <laughs> what, anyway, one of the times that I kissed a man to kind of test out <laughs> my theory of kissing men, um, one of the big put offs was the beard. So, if dolphins are already coarse, regardless, yeah, they're, of they're, they're not actually. Or not, yeah, I don't know. Maybe I'm gonna have to. Maybe I don't consent. I. Well, I guess that's all right though because I can still I can still find it okay even if I'm not into it, you know. And um <laughs> Thanks for listening. Thanks for open your mind for 50 minutes consecutively to enjoy the fruits of our brain labor. Uh remember you can follow us, like us, upvote us on Steam it S-T-E-E-M-I-T dot com slash paradise dash paradox. And it'll help us out, help us get get a little money. Steam it. Remember, it's a platform where you can get paid for posting and curating and commenting. So check that out if, if you're an artist, a, a writer, musician. And uh, you can also jump on to donate.theparadiseparadox.com. Uh, we are mostly supported by your donations by your tips so so we do appreciate it when you um, give us a little bit of of your hard-earned cash suggested donation one us dollar per episode that you like just the ones you like the ones that you hate throw them in the trash burn them and put them on your mother-in-law's lawn so thanks for listening have a great day and love yourself goodbye